So um, this morning, we're going to continue on in the series that we've been, do- been doing over the last five weeks. I think this is the sixth week of the series on the Old Testament, understanding the Old Testament. And what we've said is, um, you know, there, I, I've had, I've personally had lots of conversations with people, people that are Christians that look at the first half of our Bible, that look at the Old Testament, and they're like, I don't, I don't really know what to do with it. You know, I'm, it confuses me, if I'm honest. There's things that I don't understand. What's up with all the laws? What's up with the animal sacrifices? You know, why does God tell this group of people to wipe out these nations, you know, and there's a lot of confusion with it. And what we often end up doing is neglecting that whole first part of the Bible. And we've used some different analogies and metaphors with you over the past few weeks. Like we've talked about, well, it's kind of like a movie, you know, it's one big story, we've said, right? It's this one big story. And we like, we're like, if it's a movie and it's one story and somebody says it's a really good movie, you got to see it, we would never pick up in the middle of the movie and skip the first part, right? Because there's lots of things in the second part that only make sense when you read the first part, right? And so it's the same sort of thing with the Bible, like understanding the first part, understanding the Old Testament really deepens and enriches. In fact, it's, it's beautiful. Like the more and more I study the first part, the, I appreciate the New Testament that much more. You know, especially some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning with some prophecies and things like that. So I really want to challenge you um, as we continue in this series this weekend. Um, the, the, this series is successful if we walk out of here feeling more excited and more equipped to pick up our Bibles and read in the Old Testament. Like that's, that's a successful series that we walk out of here and we're like, it's, it's more accessible to me now, and I want to study it, and I want to get to know it. So hopefully this morning, we'll continue with that. One of the beautiful things of the Old Testament is that so much of it points to Jesus, you know? Like so, so I, I, I was just kind of thinking through some of it over this last week, and kind of big categories that point to Jesus. So you look at the laws, the Old Testament laws, and what do they do? Well, they show us the extent of our sin. They show us the extent of our shortcoming and how much we need a savior. Like you can read through and you're like, especially the book of Leviticus. Remember, Leviticus is a lot of laws, LL. You can read through Leviticus and you're like, man, there's so much stuff here. Like what's the value of that? Well, it shows us how short we fall, right? And how much we need a savior to help us in our shortcoming. You read these things with these animal sacrifices, you know, these are the laws that are specific to animal sacrifices. And you go, well, what does that show us? Like, why does God do that? Well, God shows us the seriousness of sin. That, that bloodshed and death are a requirement to pay for sin. And you go, well, why is that? Because there has to be a payment for sin, right? In God's economy, and God's structure of things, sin and rebellion is a big deal to a holy and perfect God. And so there has to be payment. And the payment for sin is death. You look at these prophecies about the Messiah, you know, which I'll, I'll, I'll actually end there um, this morning. But you, there's so many of these prophecies that were written hundreds or even thousands of years before Jesus that talked about how God would send a Savior who would actually suffer for us, right? Like this suffering savior. We'll end looking at this beautiful passage about our suffering savior. You read about how faith and trust are like the keys, even in the Old Testament. Like you look at Abraham, right? Abraham was somebody who trusted God. He had faith in God and his righteousness came from that because he trusted him. You're like faith and trust, even back then, were like the keys that unlocked God's grace and his peace and his forgiveness and salvation. 
And so in so many ways, the Old Testament is like this one, it's the beginning part of this big unfolding story of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God chasing after us, pursuing after us in his love. And so my hope is this morning, we, um, I just, we continue to challenge each other to not neglect this part, but to be able to dig into it together. So let me tell you where we've been just real quick over the last few weeks. In week one, the first week, we started out and we kind of just did a big overview, the 30,000 foot view of the Old Testament. And I, and I threw a bunch at you, I realized that. But I wanted to give you a bunch of different layers with which to see and understand the whole Old Testament. So we did, you know, a timeline, right? So you could kind of see that. We did, uh, talked about some of the specific genres of literature of the Old Testament, right? So we kind of did a big overview. The second week, we looked at the Torah or the Pentateuch. And those are the first five books of the Old Testament. So they span this time period from the very beginning, right? The very beginning of creation all the way to about 1400 BC. That's when the guy who wrote the Pentateuch, Moses, died. And there's some incredible stories. I hope you had a chance to be able to dig in to some of those stories because in the Pentateuch, you, in the Pentateuch, you see so many things that point to Jesus. They point to Jesus. They point to Jesus. So I hope you had a chance to check that out. The third and fourth week, we, uh, Pastor Adam, I'm sorry, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Greg took us through the historical books. And so they picked up from uh, Joshua to Esther. And the historical books tell the story of Israel. They kind of tell the history of Israel. And so this is God, this this group of people started with this family, right, that God chose and it turns into this nation and ultimately God gives them this beautiful land on a promise. It's called the promised land, right? And as you continue throughout these historical books, this group of people this, that starts from this one family, Abraham, becomes as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They become this gigantic nation, right? And eventually they go into, cap, uh, into uh, slavery in Egypt, right? And then they go beyond that and they become this nation and they get into the promised land and then they rebel and all of a sudden this nation splits in half and you have a northern kingdom that keeps the name Israel. You have a southern kingdom that takes the name Judah. They continue to rebel and all of a sudden they're conquered by different groups of people. The Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom. The Babylonians conquer the southern kingdom. They take them and they exile them. They take them captive, right? This is all in the historical books. And then it kind of ends with a remnant coming back. So eventually, God promises them deliverance, that God is going to kind of restore. If they would serve him, if they would love him, he would restore. And so eventually, they get back to it. You read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, but they're just a small remnant now. And so pastors uh, Jonathan and Greg took us through those historical books. Last week, Pastor Adam took us through the wisdom books, right? So specifically, we looked at Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Wisdom on a whole variety of topics. I love the wisdom books. I love Proverbs. There is so much um, richness and depth that has immediate relevance in our lives. You know, you read these short little pithy sayings and they're immediately relevant to our lives. So hopefully you had a chance to check that out as well. This week, we're gonna continue on and we're gonna look at the prophetic books, the prophetic books, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Um, before we jump into it, I wanna say this too. I wanna remind you again about this E4 series that we have on uh, our website, uh, Old Testament Survey. So if you're looking to dig into this a little bit deeper, this is very well done. 
done. All of it is accessible electronically. There's videos that you could watch, but then there's also um, uh, documents and things that you can download and kind of work through. So it's a great thing to do on your own. It's also a great thing to do as part of you know, a small group or with a friend or something like that. So I um, encourage you to check that out if you're interested in that. So when I say profit, I, I, wonder, I wonder what comes to mind to you. You know, like when we talk about these prophetic books, the prophetic books are written by prophets. When you think of prophet, I wonder what like that image looks like. Like maybe for you, when you think of prophet, you think of something like this. You see, think of some guy with a, who's balding with a big beard, uh, <laughs> sitting on a chair, hearing God speak to him and writing it down, right? Like maybe that's what you think of when you think of prophecy. Maybe you're a little different. When you think of prophecy, you think of another guy with a big beard standing in front of groups of people proclaiming God's message to them that they've heard. Like maybe that's the image that comes to mind. Maybe um, it's something different for you. It's another guy with a big, I don't know if it's like a requirement if you're a prophet to have a big beard. Maybe so. Maybe that's why I'm growing my beard big. I want to be qualified. No, maybe, maybe the image is you think of, you know, this person who is suffering and struggling and they have this message that God has given them that they're giving, but nobody's listening to it. Like maybe that's the image of prophet that you had. Or maybe you think of, you know, somebody who's called by God, who God is using to do big and miraculous things. Like maybe that's what, you, what comes to mind when you think of prophet. We probably all think of different things, but the question is, like what, like, what really was a prophet? What did the prophet do? Like, what was their purpose? What was their function, right? So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning. I really want to take about 10-ish minutes, somewhere around in there, and I want to get on the same page. Like, I want, I want us to all understand what the prophet, who they were, like where they came from, what they did, what their role was in the history of, of Israel, um, like what their purpose was in the Old Testament. So I want to take some time to do that. And then I want to take some time and look, um, talk specifically about their books that are in the Bible, the prophetic books in the Bible. And then I want to end our time, this is kind of ambitious, I want to end our time um, looking at uh, five things that I think, like when I read the prophets, these are things that immediately jump out to me that are relevant to my life. So we're not the nation of Israel, I get that. We live after the cross, I get that, right? So we're, we're, maybe we have to be more intentional about thinking, what difference does the, do these things make in my life? I wanna give you five things that hopefully will challenge you in your faith as you read through the prophets the way that has challenged me in my faith. So um, I came across a definition of prophet that I thought was really good. It's from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary. This is what it says. A prophet was an individual who received a call from God to be God's spokesperson, often connected with some crisis that was about to occur, and then announced God's message of judgment and or deliverance to Israel and the nations. Let me read it again. Prophet was an individual who received a call from God to be God's spokesperson, often connected with the crisis that was about to occur, and then they announced God's message of judgment and or deliverance to Israel and the nations. So a couple things. A prophet is somebody who's called by God, 
right? So they are somebody who had a special calling from God. And it's interesting, they had all kinds of different backgrounds. Like there's some of these guys that we read that we know a little bit more about them. Some we don't know a whole lot about their backgrounds. But we know this, they all had different backgrounds. So they weren't all like the, the religiously elite that God said, you look like a really good religious person, I'm going to choose you to be a prophet. There's guys who were priests. There's guys who were farmers. There's guys who were shepherds that were prophets. So they had all kinds of different backgrounds, but the key was God put a special, God called them especially in their life to be his spokesperson because that's what they did. They spoke for God. And so God spoke to them. I, I don't know if you ever like wonder what it was like. I do regularly. God spoke to them in some sort of especially clear way. And we don't always understand what that was like, you know, but there are some, some uh, times when you read through the prophets in the historical books where God, it's very clear how God spoke to them. Sometimes it's in visions. God would give, so they weren't sleeping, but God gave them this vision of this reality, right, that was, that was crystal clear. Sometimes it was dreams. They were sleeping and God gave them this powerful, clear dream that was very specific. Sometimes it was with audible words. I don't think it was always that way, but sometimes it was that way. There's examples of that in the scriptures. And other times there must have just been these deep and clear impressions on their hearts and minds that God gave them where he was speaking to them with such clarity that they understood exactly what he was saying and then many of them wrote these things down. And so once God gave them the message, then he had a group of people that they were supposed to give the message to, right? I'll talk about that here in a second. I had a class when I was in seminary um, by uh, Old Testament. Not, not all my se seminary professors were this way, but I had a class with a guy who was like a well-known um, Old Testament theologian. His name was Willem van Gemeren. Just sounds like a theologian, right? Very, very smart guy. Anyway, um, he wrote a bunch of stuff, and one of the books he wrote is called *A Progress of Redemption*. The, the Progress of Redemption. But in it, he talks about what prophets did, and this is what he said. He said the prophets. This is what they did. They encouraged, they promised, they warned, they pronounced God's judgment, and they predicted events. That's kind of what a prophet did. He went on to say that their audience were different people. So sometimes they spoke to kings specifically. Their prophecies were specific for kings. Sometimes they were to leaders in general, right? Sometimes they were to the general populace. But they had a very clear message from God that they would then give to the people that God wanted to hear that message. And their message was essentially always the same. Come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. And so each of them spoke in a particular context. As they were speaking to kings or leaders of the general populace, they spoke in a particular context. And you read, so all of the prophetic books, they, they fall essentially, they fall in this time period of uh, the historical books that we talked about over the last couple weeks. So first and second kings. During that time, there were prophets, right, that God sent to speak to these kings, to speak to the leaders, to speak to the people. First and second chronicles, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, like that historical period is when the prophets spoke to the people. And they spoke to, so some of them spoke to uh, the nation of Israel. So if you remember, when the nation split, Israel was the upper kingdom, the northern kingdom. Some prophets went to them. Some prophets went to the southern kingdom, Judah. Some prophets went to um, foreign nations that had, they, they weren't Israel. 
which I think is interesting. Like God didn't just care about Israel, God cared about the world. And so in fact, probably the most famous prophetic story wasn't to Israel. You know what it was? You know who I'm talking about? Jonah, right? Yeah, probably a lot of, maybe most of us know the story of Jonah and the whale, you know, eating my big whale. Who, do you know who God sent him, or a big fish, do you know who God sent him to go to? The, the Ninevites. You know where the Ninevites were? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. You know what Assyria was? Assyria is actually the nation that would conquer the northern kingdom. And God cared for them. And he didn't want them to do what they were going to do. And so he sent this prophet to say, repent, repent, right? And so some of them went to the northern kingdom. Some of them went to the southern kingdom. Some of them went to these foreign nations. And although prophets were primarily men, they weren't only men. Like this wasn't just a man's job. There were also women who were prophets. I don't think the beard was required for the women. I'm just saying, right? But there were women that were prophets as well. And so in the Old Testament, depending on how you count them, there were somewhere between five and seven women prophets, prophetesses, it's hard to say, prophetesses, that were specifically named. In the New Testament, there's two plus prophetesses that were specifically named. So like Miriam, for example, you know who Miriam is, was? Miriam was Moses' sister. So you read about her in Exodus chapter 15, she's called a prophetess. You read about Deborah in the uh, book of Judges. Deborah was a judge, not like a gavel gown wearing judge, but like the leader of the nation of Israel judge. She was also a prophetess. Uh, somebody like Hulda um, in 2 Kings 22, there's a few others. Um, in the New Testament, Anna in Acts chapter 1 is called a, pro she's a prophetess. In uh, Acts 21, this is interesting, the daughters of Philip, a guy named Philip, his daughters, plural, were prophetesses, right? And so it wasn't just like a man's job to be a prophet. God called men, God called women to be his mouthpiece. He spoke to them and they had a specific group of people that they were to speak to. And I'll bet a lot of us, when we think of prophecy, we think of um, making predictions, Right? We are talking about this as a staff a little bit this week. Like When we think of what it means to be a prophet, immediately what we think of is prophets predicted the future. And we go, that's what prophecy is. And we go, well, that's some of what prophecy is. That's part of what prophecy is. But it actually wasn't the biggest part of what prophecy was. There was some like foretelling of the future, telling the future that was part of, of um of these prophecies, but there was much more forthtelling, like speaking the truth, speaking these truths of God to the people that had actually nothing to do with future events or things like that. And so I, I read um, this, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I studied this week said it this way. This is a little complicated. I'll summarize it here when I'm done. But this was helpful for me in kind of understanding the content of their message. This is from that Baker uh, Evangelical Dictionary as well. They said, biblical prophecy is more than foretelling, like telling the future. Two-thirds of its inscripturated form involves foretelling, that is, setting the truth, justice, mercy, and righteousness of God against the backdrop of every form of denial of the same. Thus, to speak prophetically was to speak boldly against every form of moral, ethical, political, economic, religious disenfranchisement, observed in a culture that was intent on building its own pyramid of values vis-a-vis -vis God's established system of truth. So he gets a little bit wordy here at the end, right? But what's that saying? Well, essentially what it's saying is two-thirds of the things that the prophets said were stop sinning, 
Stop rebelling against God and start following him. He's the God of the universe. Stop worshiping these false gods. Stop living these ways where you're taking advantage of people. Follow God. Two-thirds of their message was that. And then the other third was, and if you don't, here's what God's going to do. Right? And they would get many times very specific about these events that would come in the future depending on how they responded to God or not. And so we're going to look, in a few minutes, we're going to look at a few of those prophecies. But I want to say a few more things here just in general about prophets first. Um, how could you tell if a prophet was really a prophet? Like, how could you tell that a prophet was really a prophet and not just kind of making it all up? Right? Like that they, that they weren't a false prophet. Because the reality is... I or you could claim that God was saying something to me. God has put a special calling on my life. And he told me last night that it was going to be 60 degrees today. Like we could make these claims, right? And it's very hard to know. It's hard for me to know what God has done or what God is saying to you or not saying to you. Right? And so we go, how do we know if a prophet is actually a prophet or if they're making it up? Because they made it up a lot. There were a lot of false prophets back then as well, where they duped people into thinking that God had this special calling on their life and he was speaking to them. Right? So how do we know? Well, there's two tests. Essentially, there were two tests to determine if a prophet was really a prophet back then that I think is probably good for us to know in our day and age as well. Um, not because I think we have all of these false prophets, although maybe, um, but we have false teachers, right? There's plenty of false teachers in Christianity. And, and how we recognize them is actually very similar to how uh, you recognize the false prophets. So here's the two tests. Here's the first one. If what they predicted actually came true. Kind of makes sense, right? So if they're saying, I am a prophet of God, and here's what God told me, this, this, and this is going to happen, if it comes true, you go, well, they passed the first test of being a prophet. If it doesn't, you can know that that is not a prophet of God. So this is what it says in Deuteronomy 18. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been, spo has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed, right? And so that's the first test, if what they said actually happens or not, right? How about the second test? The second test of the prophet is, is that prophet really living for God, really living the way that God says to live, and is he calling people to live that same way too? Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Right? And this is the second test. We look at their lives and we go, is their life consistent with what God says? And is their teaching consistent with what God says? So it says in Deuteronomy 13, suppose there's prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles actually occur. So the prediction that they make actually happens. They pass the first test. If they then say, Come, let us worship other gods, gods you've not known before. Do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands. Listen to his voice and cling to him. And then it goes on, the false prophets. Like they're, they're, these are false prophets that do these things. So the second test is you look at their life. 
Is their life consistent with what God teaches? Are they calling people to engage with God in a deeper way? Jesus said it this way. He said, watch out for false prophets. So Jesus talking to his church, right, to you and me. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. And he says this, by their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit you will recognize them. I'll come back to that here in a second. You know what the penalty was if somebody was found to be a false prophet? killed them. That's supposed to be. They didn't always do that because Israel was rebellious as well. But the penalty was supposed to be death and yet there were still many false prophets back then. So why do I tell you all of that? Well, I tell you that not because I think we have all of these false prophets making claims about the future walking around, although I do think we have some of that. I remember when I was a kid, I've shared this a couple times in here, I remember when I was a kid, there were these prophets of God all the time saying, I cracked the Bible, I cracked the code of the Bible, the end of the world is going to happen this date, right? People that wrote books about it, actually not that long ago, there was a book written about that. This is the date, right? Didn't happen. We know that was not a prophet of God, it's a false prophet. But the reality is there's lots of false teachers in the church. How do we know if a false teacher is really a false teacher? Well, two big things. But Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them, right? And so what do we do? We look at their life, and we look at their teaching, and we go, does it line up with what God says here? If it does not, we can be certain that they are teaching the wrong things, right? Maybe a great example of this that uh, disgusts me is like health and wealth gospel today, prosperity gospel today. If you really trust Jesus, if you really have strong faith, he's going to make you strong and physically fit and healthy, and he's going to bless you financially. You go, baloney. That, that is actually the opposite of what happened most of the time in the Bible. And so we can look at that and we go, that's a false teacher, just like it's false. By their fruit, you will recognize them, right? Okay, so let's start talking about the prophets in the Old Testament. So there are 17 different, different prophetic books in the Old Testament written by 16 different people. They're all men, actually. So 16 different men wrote these 17 different books. One of the guys wrote two of the books. The prophet Jeremiah wrote a book called Jeremiah, right, in our Bibles. And he also wrote a book called Lamentations. So 16 different prophets wrote these 17 different prophetic books in our Bible. But did you know that there are lots of other prophets in the history of Israel? Like when you read through the historic books, there's other prophets that you read. I, I talked about some of the ladies, right? There's other prophets that you read about in there that did not write their prophecies down that became part of our scriptures. So the ones that are in our Bible are often called the writing prophets. You know why? Because they wrote it down, right? And we have it today. The other ones that aren't in the scriptures are called the oral prophets. Many times we call them the oral prophets. So these are people like Nathan and Jehu, Elijah, right? Elijah's one of the most, maybe, maybe potentially the most significant prophet in the entire Old Testament time. And yet he, we don't have a book of Elijah in our Bible. For whatever reason, God did not have him write the prophecies that he gave him down. Elisha, which is a different person, right? Elijah, Elisha. None of these guys were prophets that wrote their things down. So these are oral prophets. But they're all prophets. They're all called by God. Their messages and what they did were all God spoke to them 
and they gave it to the people, right? They just all didn't write them these things down. So we want to spend our time looking at the um, prophecies that God told the prophets to write them down, the writing prophets, the prophetic books of the Old Testament. So when you look at these 17 different books, they're broken down in two big chunks. You have the major prophets and you have the minor prophets, right? And I don't, I don't really, I don't know why those are the words that were chosen because they, they make us think maybe something that's not real. We can think of that and we go, the major ones, well, those are the really important ones. They're major. The minor ones are less significant, right? Well, that's not true. The only reason that they call the major ones major and the minor ones minor, it, it, it's only because their books are longer. <laughs> like, really, that's the only reason why. So the major prophets, when you read them, their books are quite long. They're some of the longest books in the Old Testament. The minor prophets are some of the shortest books in the Old Testament. So there's 12 minor prophets. There's four major prophets prophets who wrote five different books, right? That's the difference between them. And again, they wrote to specific groups of people, kings, leaders, or the general population of the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, or foreign nations. That's who they wrote to. So um, each week in this series, I've been giving you, or we've been giving you, um, uh, this ten, these kind of summary things, these 10 words or less of uh, each of the different books. And it's from a book called Know Your Bible that I've just found to be very helpful. It's like two bucks or three bucks or something on Amazon. And it gives you a page or two pages at the most summary of each of the books of the Bible. And so we've been giving you like the little 10 words or less thing. And I wanted to continue to do that. But because we have 17 different books that we're covering, um, I'm not going to be able to do it like in the context of the sermon. But I still wanted to give it to you. So in your program, if you wouldn't mind pulling this out, in your program, we put a little insert in there that gives you the major prophets and the minor prophets, and we put the, the 10 words or less in here. I know some of you um, have been keeping this stuff and writing it and kind of trying to learn the big idea of each of these books that way, so I wanted to make sure that you had this. But what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to give you, I want to show you, hopefully, how relevant these books are to our lives as Christians. So there's so much in here that deepens and enriches and helps us appreciate the different things in the New Testament, and especially Jesus and what he came to do. And so I want to give you um, five things here. And as I do, as I'm going to give these to you, I really challenge you to think about them personally. Like there may be some of these things that as you hear them, you go, yeah, I got that. I, I understand that. Or you go, well, that's a good reminder for me. Or you go, I need to grab hold of that tighter. You know, or I've, I've neglected this, or maybe I've, I've fallen short with this, or I've forgotten this. So I really want to challenge you as we look at these five things to engage in this and, and ask yourself, like, do I believe this? Am I living this out in my life, or is this something that I need to grab hold of in a deeper way? Okay? So five things. Here's the first thing. God, this first, so as I read through the prophets, first thing I say, God is so much greater than us. God is so much greater than us. As you read the prophets, you read what they say, the words that God gives them, you realize how huge and powerful and mighty he is and how small and tiny and comparatively insignificant we are. Our significance comes because he says we're significant. But comparatively, we're like nothing compared to him. And you see it throughout the Old Testament. You see it throughout the New Testament as well. Like God is greater, right? But man, you especially see it in these prophetic books. And I, and I bring this up, like this is one of the things I wanted to, to share with you this morning because it's easy for us to forget that. Like there is this constant pull. I'll bet you feel it like I do. There is this constant pull to make ourselves like the center of our universe. 
you know, where we go, yeah, maybe we go, yeah, I know God's really important. But we go, but I, I am going to make my decisions, and I want this, and I think this is right, and this is right, and this is right. And before we know it, we've made ourselves greater than God and greater than anything else. Listen to this statement. I don't determine who God is. He does. Like, he's the one who's greater. I don't determine who he is. I discover who he is, right? Because I'm small and tiny, he's huge. This is one of the things that the prophets railed on the Israelites for, is because they kind of made God however they wanted him to be. And they started worshiping these other gods, and they're like, well, yeah, I worship Yahweh too, but I worship, you know, the gods of the Egyptians and the Assyrians, and I'm doing this, and I'm kind of living my life my own way. And before they knew it, they made their, themselves the gods and the determiners of truth instead of God himself. I've been having some conversations with um, a young man who... Um, it's interesting. He, he has this, he's brought it up. He knows I'm a pastor. He has this belief in who God is that um, he's very confident about. Uh, no, I don't think anyone's ever explained it, explained who God is to him. I think he's got it from shows he's watched or comic books that he's read or things like that, but he's very confident in it. And he's completely off. He's completely off target. Because he's, in his mind, he thinks God is who I decide he is instead of discovering who God really is. Like, God is so much greater than us. He is who he is, completely independent of what we think about him or don't think about him. We don't make God who he is. We discover God who he is. Similarly, my existence is defined by him. He's not defined by me. Right? My existence is defined by him. His existence is not defined by me. You see that when you read through the prophets, you see these things. Like God is so much greater. I read through, I'll give you two examples here. I read through um, Isaiah and Ezekiel, two ones, and I understand, like, so Pastor Adam last week talked a little bit about the fear of the Lord, right? Like you, you start to read some of the things that, the prophet, that God spoke to the prophets that they wrote down, and you're like, I understand what the fear of the Lord is now. The awe, the majesty, how huge he is. Let me read you a couple things. This is Isaiah 43. He writes, this is, this is God speaking to Isaiah. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. He listen to this. Because before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no savior I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I and not some foreign lowercase g God among you. You are my witnesses, declared the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days, from the very beginning, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hands. You mean that you're like, God is huge. And I am tiny. Ezekiel says it this way. And so, this is God talking again, so I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known. We don't determine who he is. We discover. I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I tell you that because maybe some of us this morning as you sit here, like we need to recalibrate a little bit and we need to find our tr like what true north is. I'm not true north God is my true north. He's the one who orients the direction of my life, right? 
God is so much greater than us. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Representing God can be painful and lonely. Representing God, so the prophets represented God, right? God put a special calling on their life. It could be painful and lonely. Do you know what Jeremiah the prophet's nickname is? The weeping prophet. That's what they call him. You know why? Because he wept. Because his life was sad. Because he had all of these things that God was telling him to say to the people and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't care. And destruction was coming and destruction was coming and destruction was coming. And he knew it. And he's telling the people, this is what's going to happen. And they couldn't care less. In fact, you know what they wanted to do to him? Kill him. Not only did they not want to listen to him, they wanted to kill him. I, I've been in my own uh, just personal time with the Lord. I've been reading through, I'm in Daniel now, but Daniel's right after Ezekiel. I was reading through Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a long book. I mean, there's a lot of chapters in Ezekiel. But the, the biggest thing I was struck with was like how hard and sad in many ways Ezekiel's life was. Like he had this message that God was giving him, that God was saying, you have to tell my people this. And they rejected him, and they rejected him. They didn't like him. They, didn't want, they made fun of him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They also wanted to kill him. Like, that's a tough life, right? And it was that way, by the way, for most of the prophets, they enjoyed this beautiful, deep intimacy with God. And as they clung tight to him, they were rejected by the world. And guys, sometimes it could be the same way for us as Christians. Like, we, we have these beliefs, we have this morality, we have this message, we have this lifestyle that has the potential to be deeply understood, deeply misunderstood, and patently rejected by people. There are people that will look at us potentially. Maybe you have people in your life right now that look at you and they don't like you because you're a Christian, because of the things that you don't do, because of your belief system and what you think is wrong that maybe they're engaging in. And they're like, I don't have anything to do with you just because you're a Christian. And see, that's sometimes part of our lives too, just like the prophets. But just like the prophets, they didn't change what they did so that they would be, they and their message would be more palatable to the people. That's not what they did. They clung to God in their pain and in their struggle and in their sadness. And they held true to the message. They held faithful to what God told them to do. And guys, I think there's a lot that we could learn from that. We don't water down what God has said so that it's more palatable to the people in our lives. We're gracious, we're kind, right? But what we believe, we believe. And we cling to God and we hold to him for strength so that we could live and do and say and be what he wants us to be. So that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Anything we put before God in our lives will cause us to stumble and fall. Anything we put before God in our lives will cause us to stumble or fall. I, I, I look at the Israelites' life and what the prophets wrote to them, and it was like, they were incredibly rebellious. Like, they put all kinds of things in their lives before God. I wrote some of them down. Worshiping other gods, greed, selfishness, sometimes sex, sometimes drunkenness, sometimes pleasure. Like, the Israelites were broad and creative in the things that they put before God in their lives. That's what they did. And yet, God loved them, and he wanted a better life for them. And so he called them through the prophets over and over and over again, back to me, back to me, make me number one in your life. 
All these things cause them to stumble and fall. Jeremiah chapter 2, we don't have time to, to look at it specifically, but Jeremiah chapter 2 is a great example of this. You know, you have, like, God is speaking through Jeremiah. Is like, didn't I do all these things for you? Like, didn't I show you how big and powerful? Didn't I bless you? Why are you chasing after this? Why are you going after the gods of the Egyptians? Why are you chasing after the gods of the Assyrians? I'm the God of the universe, right? Like, why are, we, why are you putting these other things before me? And I share that with you because, man, we could do the same thing, can't we? Like, there are all kinds, maybe, maybe we're not, you know, worshiping idol gods. I mean, there's a lot of things in our lives that we can put before God, and they can be, they will be a stumbling block to us. I like to hike, and when I hike, sometimes I'm like, in a little bit of my own world, I'm praying, I'm looking around, and I might, there'll be like a little rock in the, in the middle of the path, and I'll hit it, and I'll stumble, and almost fall, right? That's the metaphor that God uses with these things. Basically, anything else in our life that we put before him. It's like a rock in our path that causes us to stumble and potentially fall. And I challenge you to look at your life. Are there things in your life that maybe unintentionally you've put before God? And sometimes they could be good things. They're, they're, not, they're not all bad things. Sometimes it could be something that's, that's ultimately pretty good that we just give bigger priority in our life than God. So I challenge you to consider that. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we need to re- some time of repentance this morning as well. So that's the third thing. Here's the fourth thing. I have to be quick with this one. Because of his love, God is incredibly patient with people. Because of his love, God is incredibly patient with people. Listen, if your life has been a struggle, if you feel like you have, have gone from one bad decision to the other, and maybe you feel like God has given up on you, let the lives, let the words of the prophets be an encouragement to you because that's the history of Israel. God showed himself to them in these incredibly powerful, undeniable ways and yet they made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Rebellion, 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 right? And what did God do? He called them back over and over and over again. He warned them, right? Listen, as long as today is still today and you have breath in your lungs, there is time to come back to the God of the universe who loves you this morning. Like if you sit here and you're like, God must be so disappointed in me and not want to have anything to do with me. That's a lie from the devil. He loves you. He wants nothing more than to wrap his arms around you and bring you into deep communion and fellowship with him. Because of his love for us, God is incredibly patient with people. Let me give you one more. I know my time's short here. Let me give you one more. Our faith is strengthened by messianic prophecies clearly fulfilled by Jesus. Our faith is strengthened. It's kind of long. Our faith is strengthened by messianic prophecies clearly fulfilled by Jesus. So I, I did, I don't know, a, a summer or two ago, we did, we, we, we like to do a Jesus series in the summer, right? So we did one of our Jesus series, and one of the weeks it talked about all these different prophecies about, uh, we call them messianic prophecies, prophecies about the coming Messiah that were written hundreds or even thousands of years before Jesus came. And the prophets, the prophetic books, are full of these kinds of prophecies, that are so incredibly specific. They're crazy, right? They're crazy. And what they do is they give us confirmation. 
that Jesus is who he says he is. And so as you read these books, man, may our faith be uh, strengthened and encouraged and built up because there's so many things that were predicted that came, that were ridiculously predicted that came through. I want to, true, I want to read you two things and then we're done, okay? So both of them are from the book of Isaiah, two, two prophecies from Isaiah that are so specific and, and it's, I think it's impossible, almost impossible to read these from where we sit today, 2,000 years after the cross and not see Jesus in these. Let me read these to you. The first one's in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. I know some, probably a lot of us have heard these before. Like, just think about how crazy specific this is. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called God with us. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He's a son, and he's fully God and fully man, God with us, right? Let me read you one more. This is Isaiah 53. I'll bet many of us have heard bits and pieces of Isaiah 53, or maybe we've read part of it. I'm gonna read you most of the chapter. It's not that long. I'm gonna read you most of the chapter, and I want you to just, just appreciate what God has done so that you and I would believe in him. Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, but each of us, I'm sorry, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. Iniquity is sin, right? The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He died. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, sin free, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Sounds a lot like coming back to life, right? And the will, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You read that, man. Don't let that go by you without 
experience things, the significance of that. This is a prophecy 700 plus years before Jesus. So specific, so clear. Back then, they would have no idea, like, what, what does this mean? In fact, they, they applied it to the nation of Israel. They're like, this, I guess this is about us. We sit here 2,000 years, 20, almost 2,700 years after that, 2,000 years after the cross, and we're like, I know what that means. I know who Isaiah is talking about. I know the suffering servant that the Father is going to send to bear the sins of many, to give his life as an offering for me. That's Jesus. I challenge you this week, pick up your Bible, read a book. Of the old, maybe it's a, a minor prophet. They're not minor. They're just short. Maybe it's a minor prophet. Maybe it's Isaiah. And just read and allow God's words to challenge you right where you're at and affirm your faith in him.